Hello again and welcome. My name is Kirsten Walsh and you're listening to Podcasts on Process. This series takes a peek into the creative process of artists and tries to pull out the tools of their work. In these inaugural episodes, we'll be looking at the work and creative practice of choreographer Liz Lerman. We're now on to episode two, collaboration. But before we start, just a few little reminders. Podcast on Process is supported by Baltimore-based organization, The Contemporary. And the series is also supported by the curatorial practice MFA program at the Maryland Institute College of Art. I hope you consider Podcasts on Process in two ways. You're welcome to listen to the series as a full narrative from episodes one to six, or you can listen topic by topic, one tool at a time. In the first episode, we took a quick look at Liz Lerman's career. But if you're here just for the collaboration episode, this episode, I highly encourage you to take a few minutes and go back to episode one. Get yourself a good foundation for Liz's work before listening to more. I mentioned earlier that the topic for this episode is collaboration. To me, the definition of collaboration can be a little messy and a little difficult to unravel at times. Does leadership play a part in collaboration? Could we call it brainstorming? What does a good collaborative project look like? And how many voices or opinions can be a part of that experience? So Liz Lerman has this gesture, and if you've spent any amount of time with her, you'll know what I'm talking about. She starts with her hands, one above the other, thumb and forefinger kind of pinched like she's holding a piece of thread, and that imaginary thread is stretched vertically. And then she takes that thread and she tilts it 90 degrees so that you have a horizontal line. When Liz is describing an experience, a project, an interaction, and especially when she's talking about hierarchies, she's asking herself and her audience to think horizontally along a spectrum. Every conversation I've had with her in the last year, we've always ended up at this idea, and she inevitably makes this gesture. She's asking, what's the horizontal line? What's the spectrum of possibilities? In this episode on collaboration, we're gonna be talking about several modes of working collaboratively. We'll consider what exists along the spectrum of collaboration. As always, you'll hear from me and Liz, and then we're going to talk to several folks who've worked with Liz on a performance. And finally, you'll hear from George Sissel. Now, I might be playing favorites here with George. He's the director of the MFA and Curatorial Practice Program, my program. CP, as we lovingly call it, advocates for consensus building within our graduate experience and in our own personal projects. We do our best to build consensus and not confirm an idea based solely on the greatest majority in the room. Collaboration is at the core of both Liz's practice and the curatorial practice program. When we met for our interview, Liz and I, I was particularly curious what she considers her role to be in that kind of collaborative environment. And then watch it swim around for a while in that rattling around, bumping around kind of way. Um, but also watching you negotiate 15 to 20 voices mm -hmm. at any given break, mm -hmm. even if it only be two minutes coming in and then watching you let others try certain things. Um, we had the conversation then, cause you asked me, um, we were chatting about some difficulties I had had in a classroom setting with a, mo a method of collaboration that is 
if 10 people are there, you each are one-tenth of the pie, right? right? Equal ownership, equal authorship, equal weight. Um, and that you asked me, what do you think the future of collaboration is? Do you think the method that me as Kirsten was working under is sustainable? Is it possible? And we had come to the idea about a synthesizer. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's your role. Um, how what what is your what does your head look like mm-hmm. during a rehearsal? What's going on in there trying to negotiate? Well, I would say um, I would say that in Healing Wars, I'm instigator, agitator, synthesizer, mm. um, and producer, because I raise the money. So, um, in that way, people will seed me those roles. They will seede, yeah, seed me at any time that I wanted to step up and say, no, it's this. Everybody in the room, whether they liked it or not, would adjust. But I think theoretically, Kirsten, if we were gonna talk about forms of collaboration, I think you could set up, between what I just described myself in Healing Wars and you at Mm -hmm. one-tenth of, there's so many versions in there. I would still personally always advocate that somebody is possibly instigator and synthesizer and that that person can change. This past year, I had the opportunity to witness a portion of the development of Liz's newest work called Healing Wars. First at the Maggie Alessi National Center for Choreography, or MANSI for short. The team was there in Tallahassee, Florida, as the second of two residencies around the performance. And again, I watched two weeks of rehearsals prior to the performance's world premiere at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C. Both times, I was overwhelmed with the number of contributing voices in a single conversation. At any given time, a group of 20 or more people could be on stage or nearby, and all of them providing different kinds of feedback to one another and to Liz. I asked Liz how she can consider all of these voices at once. I enjoy hearing all those voices. I find it really, it's like, oh, that's so interesting. I find that if I have to make a decision fast, if I'm hearing a lot of voices, I'm not as happy. Like I've worked so long with performers in a collaborative environment that if if a performer has an idea and they they express it, like, you know, they'll say, I think we could do blah, blah. You know, I will say to them, make it happen, let me see it. Not, Mm -hmm. I, oh, I'll try that. Everybody, could you? I'd rather, Ted, just make it happen. And then I can look and we can talk. And then they step back in. So we're good at that. People know if they express something that, and it's important enough, you know. Now, sometimes they'll say something else. Oh, good. That's a good idea. Everybody hear that? Try it. Go, you know. So I'm arbitrating a lot. But... I don't want I don't want to try to make someone else's vision come true. I want them to put it in front of me and I can decide if we're keeping it or not or if that's a worthy path. You, you get the that difference? Makes, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I've tried several times to go back to my notes from the residency and the rehearsals that I watched and count up the number of people who were quote on stage making healing wars happen. If I have my numbers correct, I think we're looking at upwards to 15 to 20 people on any given day at any given hour. One of these folks was David Reynoso, the scenic and costume designer on the performance. I was very excited to talk to David. One, because he has a great laugh, and two, 
because he had a very different role in supporting Healing Wars. How would you identify yourself if you couldn't use the word costume designer or scenic mm -hmm. designer? Would you um, call yourself a designer? Would you call yourself an artist? How would you frame yourself uh, mm. if you couldn't explain that to, to someone else? How would like how could you generalize yourself as a as a maker? Yes. I think it's sort of like a three dimensional illustrator. Watching um, the group make work together. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you factored into that and, and how you would yeah, um, insert opinions or ideas uh, before mm -hmm. you'd step back? Just your your part in that process or how it worked Absolutely. I mean, it certainly was a very, for me, it felt like a, a, a more unusual experience than I have been used to uh, working with. But in particular, I think it was interesting to feel like everything that was kind of discussed or thrown out in the room was of consideration. And I think if I'm being completely honest, it, it was also one of those situations that felt kind of, it was a, as a bit daunting because of the fact that, you know, like you said, it was leaps and bounds between where we were in Mansi and then all of a sudden at arena, everything was in some ways all theory <laughs> in, in that room until we really kind of put it on stage. Um, and in, in regards to my role, uh, being kind of responsible uh, in collaboration with other designers, responsible for the um, kind of the visual vocabulary of the piece, uh, in particular the, the scenery and the costumes. It was important to me that everything that we were gonna be able to kind of absorb on a visual level, supported the discoveries that were happening in the rehearsal room. And so I kind of, a lot of times, was just a very much a fly on the wall uh, watching the performers uh, and Liz uh, interact with each other and also interact with the different, um, you know, contemporary veterans. And But it was also, I was also invited to then be part of discussions of kind of exciting things that were found every day, like, I believe David has one of the trickiest jobs in supporting these performances. And just to make this clear again for listeners, Healing Wars is a living, breathing document in the sense that it's, it's under constant flux and change. In a matter of three weeks between the residency I was at in Florida and the rehearsal in D.C., the movement and imagery in Healing Wars changed pretty dramatically on several levels. Costume design can be a bit more nimble and can respond to how the performance is changing. The scenery, on the other hand, needs to kind of be, quote, set in stone before the team arrives on set. The scenic design must be responsive and concrete all at once. So in some ways, the scenic design is kind of what I like to consider establishing the rules of the game. Uh, I always say kind of what, uh, you know, what makes a really great sort of sports player or basketball player or whatever is kind of that they know the rules and the boundaries of the court of the game of you know these this is what you can do but however it's knowing what the how do you play within those boundaries what what are you able to do and i think that's what makes like a really great sports player and so in some ways creating the set is establishing those boundaries already we're hearing from david 
that his vision and role was interconnected with another's. Here he goes on to describe the collaborative work environment on Healing Wars. Uh, it's, it's incredibly collaborative, and any idea is a good idea, no matter where it comes from, uh, is my favorite type of way to work. So it's an interesting double-edged sword. You, in some ways, I find, in, I mean, gosh, I hate to even say this, but in some ways it's kind of like entering into a relationship with somebody. <laughs> you have to, in some ways, have very, you kind of have to know and that you are, uh, that there's a risk involved in this relationship, but uh, you, you can, you in some ways hope that you have, um, enough communication there that you are establishing, again, some boundaries, so that then when these boundaries are set, there is freedom within those boundaries to then do everything that you, your heart might desire. Um, so I do, I do find that what made it possible for me, I, I can only speak to myself, uh, to feel completely at liberty to, um, suggest something that was outside of my realm of expertise, uh, you know, in, in a very collaborative environment with Liz and the rest of the designers and the performers, you know, I, t it, I didn't just stick to the scenic design and the, and the costume design, you know, I would, I would sort of make, you know, we would have conversations about the lighting design. We would have conversations about the sound design. We would have conversations about movement and the projections. And, you know, it was all open dialogue. And I think that I have had experiences like that in the past with other theater performance or either theater productions that I've worked on, but not to the extent where it was almost expected that you all spoke up about something. I absolutely loved it. And I think it was better for it. I mean, the old adage is true that, you know, two, two heads are better than one. Um, I, I know that that also is terrifying <laughs> to some, you know, to some, the way that people, some people make theater. Cause I think it is important to also know, I mean, it, it also only worked because we knew that Liz in some ways, maybe not always super uh, apparent to us. And maybe that was part of her kind of trickery and magic that she was working is that she really was at the helm of things. And so despite the fact that there were conversations that happened that she wasn't fully present for, I think in some ways, she ultimately was at the helm. Uh, and I think we were all looking to her for a final kind of yes and no. Liz, how did Liz set the parameters? How did she create the environment that allowed you folks to work like that? To have been working together for two to three years now as a group? on this yes. particular project, is that right? Yeah, close to. I, I think um, the thing that strikes me about Liz is that she's an incredibly curious person. Um, and it seems that she, um, she does not want to rob herself of the opportunity to see something beyond what is in her scope uh, by by not being open to someone else's input. That's a very uh, eloquent way of putting that. 
<laughs> well, good. But I, I think it, it I think it's, it, and because of it, there's a, there's a fearlessness that comes with that. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, we can all speak to this. I think when you are around people that have that security, you are immediately put at ease. So as if, as opposed to someone may be trying to kind of, someone may say that they want that kind of environment, but they may not have that sort of sense of, of security uh, in them, sort of in themselves and in the process that I think if there's any sort of agitation in there in the mix, it, it immediately kind of would strike panic, I think, in, in the rest of the team. And immediately we would all be like, no, 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 what are we doing here? What are we doing? Um, I think there... <laughs> I mean, I from the exterior, it seemed like Liz was always uh, kind of fearless about the unknown. And um, I think there, I can only speak for myself, but I imagine that the other designers, maybe other performers, had moments internally where it's, you know, you do start to wonder, like, what are we doing? What are we making? Like, what is this? What are we? We have this deadline. We're putting on the show. What is this show? What are we doing? When is this going to come together? You know, when is it going to start making sense on a bigger picture? Yes. And I think, you know, you then would sort of kind of calm down and then think, all right, well, you know, Liz doesn't seem so scared. So (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's going to be okay. And I think because of it, it, it made it so that you were able to walk on water. Um, you know, to just be able to feel kind of like someone is telling you, no, 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 it's the water's fine. Keep going. Uh, it, 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 yeah, I think it, it, she helped cultivate that fearlessness in all of us. I think you're getting a sense from David's descriptions of how this team of designers and performers work together. And it gets back to how Liz was describing herself as the agitator, instigator, and synthesizer. Watching the team exchange ideas, elicit feedback, and develop their performance together is slightly miraculous and a little mysterious all at the same time. As a fly on the wall this past year, I'm still not sure I can tag the specific techniques of how to make this form of collaboration work, but I certainly knew it when I saw it. I've heard that voice almost every day in the classroom since I started my graduate education at MICA. George developed the curatorial practice program, the first master of fine arts of its kind in the U.S. in 2011. He's been at MICA as the curator in residence for almost 20 years, beginning with his work in the Exhibition Development Seminar, or EDS. What is curatorial practice as a profession? I think I'm still learning all of the possible hats a curator can wear, but very basically, a curator is traditionally defined as the keeper or custodian of a museum or an institution's collection. Contemporary curators, on the other hand, can also be considered synthesizers, selecting works, 
sometimes under a theme, or they might be called observers or act as platforms, or my favorite synonym for a curator as a cultural producer. The mission statement of this MFA program in curatorial practice describes connecting art, artist, and audience together. The program asks students to consider what an expanded definition of a curator can look like. Here's George describing CP so eloquently. Yes, curatorial practice for, for how um, we've sort of left it as an open-ended definition uh, intentionally mm -hmm. because it is a field that um, has, ha has expanded and become very much interdisciplinary, especially in the last 20 years or so. Um, which is for the time period that I've been at MICA working with the undergraduate curatorial program there. Um, and so what, I, what I've seen, and I guess what the program was designed to do was really to not just examine and explore and investigate the current field, so to speak, and what, what is going on uh, with curators, but I think more importantly, to see what, what the potential of the relationship of that practice is to the larger world, to the, uh, to the world outside of ourselves, outside of curators, outside of um, our artists and the art world itself. And so It's difficult to describe and give full justice to the full curriculum, but a CP education, along with a host of other courses, includes two major projects, practicum and thesis. Practicum is the introduction to the program's core values. We learn to work collaboratively with each other, with the artists, with our audience and our community partners as a model for our own thesis projects. It's also almost impossible to summarize the path of George Sissel's career. Each step in his personal and professional development clearly supported the next endeavor. George has been developing his teaching model throughout his career as an educator. And what is clear about his teaching and curatorial practice is that collaborative partnerships have been a key aspect. I asked George about his background in the arts and how his teaching philosophy developed. In terms of my own life prior to mm -hmm. all this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it goes back to when I was in college. Um, <clears throat> and um, so in college I was um, very much involved and exposed to theater and dance. And um, whereas, I mean, prior to that, I very much was a, a very uh, insular and independent kind of person and individual and um, to the point of being reclusive. Um, once, when I got to college, I was introduced and exposed to theater and dance. Um, and, and theater in terms of looking at really the, not just studying, but also in terms of the making, uh, in terms of plays, in terms of O'Neill and Strindberg and Ibsen, and um, some all, so, sort of many of the greats. And in terms of dance at, at that time, it was very much in terms of Martha Graham. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and from that, from Martha Graham, learning about Isama Noguchi and, and, and uh, how a, a certain, at that time period, and we're talking about the 60s, especially, was very much rich with collaboration between disciplines. 
and so whether you know whether music and dance and theater, um, you know poetry, whatever. Um, so I was really embroiled in that. I mean, my training in college was really looking at that potential of those relationships between those disciplines, and so it uh, was very much about working obviously as a team. Mm -hmm. It was also looking at um, that what we were doing was in the service, in the sense of to an, of an artist, whether it, you know it was a playwright or mm -hmm. a choreographer, whoever it may be. But that's what we were all doing as a team, and that we all had that 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 goal, and and then sort of looking at that that, that point, of course, it was the director, you know, yes. uh, it was the director who would take that role, and um, for for good and bad, my my experience with that was with director who was very much uh, very authoritarian. Yes. And, 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 and uh, I very much rebelled against that. At this same time, George was examining two courses before him, that of the teacher and the other as an artist. To me, an artist is mm -hmm. someone who, they're an artist, they have no other choices. Yeah. This is what they do. I realized I had other choices. I didn't necessarily need to make that sculpture. I didn't have to make that sculpture. I didn't even necessarily have anything to say with that sculpture, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the world I wanted to be in, mm -hmm. basically. And so I think once I realized that, then th that other sort of awakening after, after graduating was like, ah, no, you are not an artist. You're someone who wants to work with artists and with art mm -hmm. and be around it, uh, and you need to sort of figure out creatively what that, what that might be. I posed Liz's model of agitator, instigator, and synthesizer to George in our conversation, and how I have reflected back on our program's model of collaboration in comparison to Liz's. Mm -hmm. Liz is a visionary. Okay? I'm not either. Okay, I don't see myself that 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 way at all. Even though people will sort of want to sort of force that on, like impose that kind of definition uh, on you, because they perhaps I think don't really understand what the process, you know, is and what we're talking about the here. The curatorial process. Yeah, in terms of CP, in terms of the pedagogy of the program. Um, you know, this is not just an artist and a visionary, but she's very much unique in terms that she is a collaborator. I mean, yes. as we know, you know, majority of artists and visionaries are not collaborators at all. They're not mm -hmm. collaborators. And that's not any. That's not a critical statement at all. We're just saying, in terms of you say the spectrum, the range of artists, artistic practice. Yes. That Liz is very unique in that regard. That that she is someone that is very much open and informed by that by the collaboration of all these other people and and, and creative individuals. As student curators, we have interpreted collaboration to mean a group of students working with a group of artists and their partners. But is the work of a curator equal to a synthesizer? Or perhaps another way to ask it is, for student curators, how would the learning outcomes change if the artist was the synthesizer? You know, an individual group a project and, and, and some kind of group uh, thematic mm -hmm. project. Um, but 
So I've seen it in EDS occasionally, that that, that rare artist that works like Liz, mm -hmm. that is very much inspired in form by those students in the class and, or the environment that they've set up or the community that they're, they're bringing in. Mm -hmm. And it very much informs that artist's work. And, they and the artist acknowledges it. Uh, 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 even though during it, the artist may not even realize what's going on. So I've seen that happen, hmm. right? Okay. Now it's interesting in terms of CP, mm -hmm. if you look at CP, um, there are no instances of anyone working with individual artists. Okay, I can understand all the justifications, perhaps why practicum, there's 10 of you, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. But when you're doing individual interests, thesis yeah. work, who says you can't just do a show with one artist and work for two years with them? Mm -hmm. But no one has, right? Hmm. And so to me, it's very interesting to see the difference. And, and again, it's a, to be honest with you, it's part of my sabbatical's realization, some of these things we're talking about. That's actually one of my other questions. That, 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 oh, it's very interesting that the kind of results creatively and in terms of uh, sustained outcomes that some of these projects that EDS did came out of some of these individual artist projects. Not out of any group thematic shows, right? But why hasn't, wh why hasn't that happened at the level in terms of CP? I don't, you know, I don't have, I don't know the answer to that, but um, consensus and all that, without question, it, it is, and in, in sort of in the surface, that is different than Liz's, but there's no reason that they could not have chosen an artist to work with. In the sense that a single artist for a practicum show would exist in a lot of ways, the same way someone might exist as a synthesizer. Exactly or, uh, right. Yeah, an agitator, in, an instigator. Exactly yeah. right. Or with, or with their individual thesis shows. So, um, so I'm not sure again why mm -hmm. that hasn't happened, but it is a, a, a very uh, recent realization of myself or on my own that it hasn't, and is that something that needs to be more um, openly, outwardly talked about, perhaps in the future, uh, with with the students from the get go? Like, I would love your feedback and your response to the creative challenges that are posed in these episodes. After you listen, please go to podcastonprocess.com. If you find yourself inspired by a topic, use the hashtag podcastonprocess. Alternatively, you're also welcome to record your response. There's a phone number listed under the respond page of the website, and that's where you can leave me a voicemail. I'll be updating the site regularly with your responses. All right, so here's your creative challenge for this episode. What's your definition of a good collaborative project or experience? I challenge you to find a way to capture your answer visually. Take a photo and on Facebook or Instagram, tag your answer with our hashtag. You can also upload your photo by visiting the website. And thanks in advance for your feedback. This episode and the whole series would not be possible without the incredible team around me. So I have to say thank you to just a few folks. First, thank you to the faculty of curatorial practice, to my extraordinary mentors, and to my support team from the contemporary. 
The music you'll hear in this series was composed and recorded by the remarkable Ruby Fulton and the band Nudie Suits. And thank you to Estelle Klein and Sean Tubbs, my audio engineer magicians. A big thank you goes out to my classmates and my beautiful friends in curatorial practice, and to my husband, my unwavering volunteer and MacGyver on all of this. And last but not least, thank you to Liz Lerman, the stunning artist who graciously opened up her life and process to me.